Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wisdom in our, in our hearts that we would honor and, and uh, glorify the Lord. And so that's what we want to do today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, join me in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. And if you'll take out the notes that are found in the weekly bulletin, hopefully they will aid us in our time. If you weren't with us last week, uh, you may look at this and go, wait a minute, there's uh, five points and three points have already got the blanks filled in, and that's not the usual format. Uh, typically, we fill in all the blanks, which is because this was a uh, what was designed to be a one-week sermon. Uh, I got about 60% through and realized I was not going to be able to finish, and so decided just to stop, and we'll pick up where we were. And so I was showing it to uh, my son on the front row here. I was giving him, setting him up, make sure he knew where to, where to write the blanks in and fill them in and know where we were. And he looked up at me and he goes, does this mean you're not going to go so long today? And uh, I could not make him any promises, nor will I to you. And so I said, I, I probably will go long. And he says, oh, man. So, no, you might be in company with my son here who uh, would not long for us to delay. But I will say this. Um, and and my, just in my studies, even though I was prepared last week to preach and just was continue to allow the Lord to fill my heart as we walk through it, um, uh, to prepare to walk through it today. And I was listening to one pastor speaking on this passage, and he said, we live in a corrupted society that will not embrace these passages um, as it relates to wives and their subjection to their own husbands, as it relates to husbands and how they would live with their wives in an understanding way. And, we need to know we live in a corrupted society, but then we've got confused, confused saints as well. And I would say that's true uh, and can has been and, and can be and is still true of this pastor. Uh, that um, there's areas where I look back on the growth and the maturation uh, in the word. And I begin to realize, man, how confused I was to uh, the will and ways and purposes of God. And so that's what we want uh, to be able to confront is that this this corrupted society and even the confusion that can be in, in any of our own hearts that we would know that wisdom that we sang about just moments ago and as i read and we've been studying this i want us just to be mindful of the snares of the evil one and just listen to genesis 3 don't turn there but this is just to understand how the society has become become began to be and is corrupted and how saints can be confused it's it's as a result of the Fall of man. And listen to what it says here in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's the first question that's posed to us as we look at even passages that we looked at this morning in our corrupted society. The corrupted society would say, did God really say that? As we look at these instructions over the past four weeks, today being the fourth of just a relationship between husband and wife and wife and husband. Man, did God's word really say that? And we have to answer as the woman. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, you shall not eat of the eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So in essence, she says, yes, that's what God said. And we have to stand with her and say, yes, this is what God has said to us about how we should live in the light of marriage. Then comes the second onslaught from the world. From our corrupted society. But the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it. Your eyes will be open. And you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. And that's what the world will say then to us. Now come on. Is that really. Okay yes. You say it's in the Bible. But do you really believe the Bible? Does God really mean what he says? Surely there's a different translation. Different meaning behind that. Is that really what the scripture teaches? And if we're not. Careful, we will stumble and fall like Eve did in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her, gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then there, in lies, sin enters into what was a perfect union and a perfect environment. And that's the same, the same action that the devil was working in and around us, even in us at times, to be able to go, did God's word really say that? And this morning, I want you to see God's word. That's why we take our time. That's why we try to encourage you to be reading throughout the week. It need not matter what I say or Pastor Tim says. Because I could be deceived. I could be wrong. We could be misled. We could be leading others to be misled. And so we want you not to pay attention to what we say if it were to be to the undermining of what God says. But we need to be able to make sure this is what thus says the Lord. And if he says it, then we must do it. And so that's the encouragement this morning is to look with your eyes wide open to study in the passage and take the reading plan that we've given you with just questions that are not to be leading you anywhere, just simply to be leading you to ask questions, to query the text, to see if what we are teaching is indeed true. And then if so, how do we apply ourselves to it? And so with that being said, let's look at, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. And the scripture says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would aid us this morning as we look at husbands and their relationship with you and their relationships with their wives. And Father, I pray that you would help each husband in the room to apply these texts. I pray you'd help each male in this room that may be a husband one day or has been a husband, or maybe will be a husband again. I pray you would aid them. I pray for wives in this room. You grant clarity and understanding for her as it relates to her relationship to her husband. And any future brides, Lord, you would aid them. And then, Father, that we would all glean general truths from this passage to help us to apply where it may not be directly related to us in the stage of life that we're in, but, Lord, that we would honor you and glorify you knowing that your word is truth. And it would help us to be able to speak into those lives of those that you placed in our sphere of influence to help them and encourage them to know you and to love you. And so, Father, we ask that you would aid us. For there be no parading or boasting in my flesh. There be clarity of thought, clarity of speech. You grant 
ears to hear and a heart to receive this message for obedience. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, briefly recap our first three points just to, uh, by way of uh, introduction, if you will, and then we'll, we'll dive into the last two points that we've had here. So if, we're to, if husbands are to honor their wives, which is what's on the marquee out front, then how do we do this? What is the instructions from Peter uh, to the saints that are dispersed abroad? And the first thing he wants to do is to bring, provide clarification to husbands. He wants to clarify what is it that he means to husbands? And so you see in verse 7, likewise husbands. And likewise refers back, I believe, the clearest indicator there is First Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so as a result of that, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, as it says in verse 13. And so this is important information to give us insight to the believer about how he or she, you or I, should live in the world, even though they were not of the world, as it relates to verse 11. And so if you go back up to chapter 2, verse 11... It told us that we, uh, uh, to, he urges us as the beloved, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And to keep, in verse 12, your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak, evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now the question, general question was, how do you do that? How, what does that look like? Peter, being very practical, begins to give... Uh, a general, applic- a general uh, in direction that has now specific applications and general direction, as we saw in verse 13, is to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So husbands are to be subject to the divinely ordained human institution of marriage. This commands for all believers, male and female, to subject themselves to every human institution in general. And that now is being pol- uh, explained particularly in the verses that would follow uh, verse 13. And so you see in verses 14 through 17, citizens to emperor or governors, and that would be uh, the government. And then 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25, as slaves to masters, as it relate to business and business ventures, employee, employer, as far as our environment that we live in today. Then 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, wives to their own husbands in the context of the institution of marriage. And then now today, 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands to the institution of marriage as well. And so husbands are not to call to subject themselves to their wives, as you would see the instructions in verse 1 to women. But they are to be called to be subject and to subject themselves to the institution itself, to marriage. Their submission is to subject themselves to the institution of marriage for the Lord's sake in their particular role. And so they're supposed to submit to God for the Lord's sake, to the institution of marriage, in the manner of the role that God has created them. And so they are the head, the leader, the master or Lord, as we see in this text, where the wife is the helper or she's the one who is subject to the husband. This speaks to roles and responsibilities, order and structure, and it does not speak to worth or intrinsic value, dignity, and equality. So what you're hearing not being said here is that as we're talking about head helper, roles and responsibilities, it, says, it speaks of nothing to worth or a woman's value, dignity, or equality. It's speaking of simply order and structure. And so for clarification, the likewise is referring back to being subject to the, or, to the human institution of marriage. With that clarification, then comes an expectation. Peter wants to communicate there's expectations for the husband as there was for the wives. And so the expectation for husbands is to live with your wives in an understanding way. That's how they subject themselves or submit to the governing or the, um, or the human institution of marriage, the divine, divinely ordained human institution of marriage. And so the expectation for husbands would be to live with their wives in an understanding way because the wives are expected and they're um, 
they're to, uh, in, in their way to be subject to the institution of marriage is to be subject to their husbands. And so the expectation of the husband is to live his wife in an understanding, understanding way. So what does this look like? How does this work? Uh, what does it mean to live with your wife in an understanding way? Well, the, as we talked about last week, the literal translation of the Greek is to live with your wives according to knowledge. So it's translated in an understanding way to help us to get a better understanding of what it's actually communicating, to better communicate to us what that looks like. And so if he's supposed to live according to knowledge, what is this knowledge that he needs to know would be a good question for us to ask. What are this, what's the information I need to have in order for me to be able to live with her in this way? And it would appear that he needs to know how to live with his wife first and foremost, because that's the context, husbands and wives. He needs to, uh, for, and then with that, he needs to know her, his wife. Not just women in general, but his wife. He needs to know her. He needs to study her. He needs to be familiar with her. Right? We all have backgrounds and um, areas of sin that we struggle with. And so as a result, of that, he needs to know her. And that's not all they need to know. I think he also needs to consider what knowledge uh, he needs to have in order to do what the remainder of the verse says. What does it mean to honor her? What does it mean that she's a woman? What does it mean that she's a vessel? And at that, she's a weaker vessel. What does it mean that she's an heir with him? And a, an heir of what? Of the grace. And so what is it grace is speaking of? The grace of life. What's the life that it's speaking of? Prayers. That is, so that his prayers. What does the Bible speak about prayers? His prayers being hindered. And as you just begin to look at those things, you think, man, there's a lot. Just with verse 7, one verse of Scripture that would help us and aid us in being able to understand what it is that Peter's alluding to, to live with an understanding way. So he needs to be reminded that his knowledge is not, an in, is not innate within himself, because his life prior to being born again was one of spiritual ignorance and not spirit-filled intellect. So he says he needs to live with her in an understanding way according to knowledge. Well, he needs to begin to realize that we're not born with that, right? Because why? If you go back to 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That was before he was born again. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so how does he be holy in his conduct as it relates to his wife? He lives with her in an understanding way. And what he needs to begin to realize and understand is, prior to salvation, prior to being born again, he lived in ignorance. And so that's lacking knowledge. And so if he's going to live with her according to knowledge, he needs to live with her in a manner that would be spirit-filled and and, uh, holy in his conduct. And this is not different than what the other passages of Scripture would communicate to us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so once again, don't be conformed. It's like this passage would communicate. Don't be conformed to this. Do not fit into the mold of this world. That's what it literally communicates. To be conformed is a picture of like you're at the beach and you've got a you're making a sandcastle, and so you've got your little bucket, and when you turn it upside down, the sand comes out, it makes this tower, right? And so the sand is conformed to the image of its mold. And the imagery there for us is the world is trying to mold you to look like itself. And God says, do not be conformed to that, the former passions of your ignorance. And the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 and 5, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. Not in the manner of the way the pagans would live and those who do not claim to be born again, uh, who don't even claim to know God and who do not know God. He says, listen, I don't want you to be conformed into that image. And so that's the expectation to live with your wives in an understanding way. And then 
that's the clarification that we should be subject to men, so husbands should be subject to the human, divinely human institution, a divine human institution of marriage. And how they do that, the expectation is they live with their wives in an understanding way and according to knowledge. Then is there any direction to show us how that will look? And that's directions to husbands. You see our third point and the last one we were to cover last week was showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Peter has given clarification to husbands. It's how they're to live in subjection for the Lord's sake to divinely ordained human institution of marriage as it relates to their particular role. Peter has also given the expectation of how they're to live with their wives. Now he gives them direction in order to aid them in their pursuit of obedience. So the husband lives with his wife in an understanding way, according to knowledge, by showing honor to her. So how does he do it? Right? The expectation, the direction is you would do that, you would perform that by showing her honor. Now, this is not a new direction as it relates to living and subject to human institutions, as we talked about last week. This, expect, this is the expectation of all believers, not simply husbands, according to 1 Peter 2, verse 17. So 1 Peter 2, 17 communicates this. Honor everyone. Now, that's male or female. Love the brotherhood, male and female. Fear God, male and female. Honor the emperor, male and female. So even though this is particularly being applied to husbands in this particular section as he would honor his wife, the desire to honor everyone has already been commended and commanded in verse 17, to both male and female inside the body of Christ, as it relates to even those who are outside the body of Christ. It's how you honor everyone, even unbelievers. And so this isn't n- new to what the Bible is saying. So then the question is, how does the husband who's striving to live with his wife in an understanding way, recorded knowledge, show his wife honor? How does he do it? If we're going to start applying this to us, and Peter's helping us to be very practical. How does he do this? Well, in order for the husband to properly show his wife honor, he must understand that she, as the woman, is the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel, which begs a question. So we're talking about this knowledge, right? And he's, he's this, this clarification, his expectation, expectation he should live with her in, uh, in an understanding way, according to knowledge. So that's why we got to begin to, well, what does it mean that she's a vessel? What does that mean? How does that translate? So first we understand that she is the weaker vessel, according to the passage. And the passage is speaking about husbands and wives. And so if that's the case... Then, therefore, whatever vessel means, it is speaking of both sexes, both male and female. Correct? So if she's the weaker vessel, then it say she's just a weak vessel. And God help her. God bless you. Right? You're just a weak vessel. No, she's the weaker vessel. And if it's relating and communicating to both male and female, as it's speaking to husbands and wives, then clearly what it means is relating to both of them. That this vessel, despite the fact she's weaker, is, is re, re, referring to and, and communicating in, um, that it's to both the male and the female. So that's first. Second, if we're going to try to figure out what vessel means, I believe in other passages of Scripture will help us to understand what it is that Peter's saying. So we talked about last week, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure, speaking of the gospel, in jars or other translations would say earthen vessels of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so I believe the passage in 1 Peter is also uh, the same word that's being used there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And so therefore, it helps us to see that the vessel that's being referred to there, to there is our bodies. It's our bodies based on 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So 1 Peter 3, 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, both referring to our bodies when it says vessel. So when speaking of vessels, Peter is referring to the physical bodies of men and women, husbands 
and wives. So then if that's what it is, it's our physical body. What does it mean that the wife's body is weaker than the the male body? I think Peter's simply implying that men should live with their wives according to the knowledge that they are physically stronger than their wife. In order to honor her then in the manner God has designed, he's to know that God's infinitely wise design has created women to be physically weaker than men, generally speaking, right? So here's what we've got to be able to understand. God has designed us in a manner and in a way that we should live according to his word. That's why I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when this thing went wrong and say, did God really say this? We need to understand that God's design for marriage, which is one woman and one man for life, only death would separate them, then we should operate by that. Did God really say that? Yes, that's how he made them in the garden. And if we don't understand this, we understand that the created order and how he created us even physically, we're going to miss the point of what God is doing in, in and around us and how he's designed us and how he's designed marriage. And so in this, this is what he's speaking to, man's physical characteristics and bodies would be stronger now some have communicated potentially here weaker would also reflect and and speak to her role then uh in the marriage if you take the preceding first six verses that the weakness could be speaking to her role of subjection to him and so as a result of that that role being weaker and being the helper as a result of that 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 uh, men should be cautious in their leadership of their home but i would say uh, that would be a uh, a weak argument there. I think primarily saying that it's um, it's the physical strength that would be seen here, and in particular, this particular, in particular here in this culture, and in cultures that aren't as industrialized as our culture, uh, this still has massive implications for women more so than it does here, as it relates to physical, physical strength and, and uh, male physical strength and female physical strength. And so then we just begin to understand: Do we buy this right? If it's a culture that we live in, a corrupted society, as I talked about earlier, that we buy this because ultimately many uh, would say that, no, whatever men can do, women can do better, right? And so we just begin to look at it. Do we see this to be in the case that, that women are stronger if we're going to compare one-to-one, right? In, in, in general, one-to-one, a male, or uh, in general, men and women, not simply a one-to-one comparison. Now, are, do men have an advantage? And we said, yes, there seemed to be a genetic advantage that God has granted men because of the Y chromosome, uh, that men would be stronger than women in a general sense. So women are XX, men are XY. And so this distinction between male and female is both remarkable and profound as it relates to strength differential, right? So, for example, and this, is a, this is a very good example. You take the beast over here to my right, your left, Dale Cornette, right? She's probably stronger, as, as strong as anyone in the room. And his wife, the weaker vessel that's sitting next to him, confident, they would have an arm wrestling competition in his house. Dell will win, right? Right? And so this is a picture that you're seeing again and again and again. And so the strength differential that you see between male and female is important. And, and if we begin to undermine wh- wh- the way God's designed and created us, we're going to miss what God is doing, not only on the, on the physical, natural, but on, clearly on the spiritual, which most of those are just images of what God is doing on the spiritual level with, with, it, with our physical bodies. And so that's what Peter's saying. Let me be clear what Peter's not saying. He's not communicating that women are inferior to men. He's not communicating that women, women are not equal with men in worth and dignity and competence, intelligence, perseverance, and equality in their standing before God. None of this is just talking about our physical body. That's why you have to be able to communicate what does it mean, vessel? And then if you can define vessel, what does weaker mean? 
it helps us to be able to understand that none of this is speaking to God's design for women as it relates to their worth, their dignity, their quality, and so on and so forth. They're standing before God, as Galatians 3 would say, is that there's in Christ salvation, in Christ's salvation, there is neither male nor female. Now, the egalitarians, that's the view that says there is absolutely no distinction between male and female as it relates uh, to God's creative order. That would be the egalitarian view. And we would not hold that here as a church. We believe in the complementarian view. Complementarian view would be that there is head and helper. Husband's the head of his, the wife. Christ is head of the church. And so I believe you see that all over in this text. And then also Ephesians chapter 5 and other passages. But in that, that's a complementarian. They complement each other in their roles and responsibilities. That was God's created order even before the fall. And I think you see that in Genesis 1 and chapter 2 as well. But then from that, you see the egalitarian view is, no, no, there's no, absolutely no distinction whatsoever. And I, that's not clear as you see uh, that teaching is clearly not what the Bible would lead us to believe. And so in that, Galatians 3 is not an example then for anyone who's in Christ that there's no longer roles and responsibilities and, and differential in roles in, in marriage because that's not is all what the New Testament and Old Testament light would be teaching. And so he's not speaking to dignity, worth, competence, intelligence, perseverance, and equality in their standing. So what is he simply stating? That they were not designed to have the physical strength that God has given men. This is important for men and women to recognize and reflect as it relates to God's order within the home and society. If men do not recognize this, they will not be able to honor their wife in the manner that God has prescribed. So he's told us the expectation is to live with your wives according to knowledge. How do you do that? You honor your wife. And if you're going to honor your wife, you have to understand roles and responsibilities. And so this distinction of physical strength between men and women being communicated in Scripture may sound offensive to some, right? Oh, and they get all up in arms about it. However, if we were to pay attention to this in our society, it's not shocking. I mean, even as we begin to look at designs, as we talked about last week, as far as sporting events, in one small case, and it's clear in a variety of other cases, that there's a reason it's not simply trying to beat down women that men and women should not compete with one another. Right? We looked at the NBA with the WNBA and, the, and the, the men's side of the NBA, Professional Golfers Association, and you've got the PGA with the LPGA, the Ladies uh, uh, Professional Golfing Association, with tennis, with the ATP Association of Tennis for Professionals, the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association. And again and again and again, you see there's a reason why, because of that genetic advantage, they don't compete with one another. And then we looked at a host of examples from the Olympics, as it's, we're preparing to have the Olympics, and we just took the best of the best, right, and compared them. Men's world records, women's world records, and we looked at those from the 100 meters to the 200 meters, 400 meters, long jump, high jump, pole vault. We could have gone on and on and on where men clearly have the advantage in every one of the world records. And why? It's because that's the way God has designed it. And so even though our society, our corrupted society, doesn't buy into this, I don't want us as Christians or saints to be confused. And so we have a corrupted society, but we don't have confused saints. We need to understand God's created order. And then we even saw in the workplace how there is a distinction as it relates to jobs that are, are far more um, strength-oriented. And so we talked about construction workers, and there's 97% of construction workers are men, 3% are women. Police, 87% men, 13% women. Military, 85% men, 15% women. So the question... The statement would be then from feminists would be that ultimately men are holding them back. Affirmative action needed to be in place and the feminist movement needed to be in place in order that women should be able to do this. The question to be posed is that as we begin to see this, though, we're missing the portion of God's created order. 
are there outliers where at any given time, where, as I mentioned last week, that the WNBA, right? There's ladies that are within the WNBA, the Women's National Basketball Association, that can dunk a basketball. And how many men in this room could probably dunk a basketball? Even if they could in their past, could still be able to do that to this day. And the reality is in this that you do one-to-one comparisons. Yeah, there might be a woman who's stronger than this other man. But in general, we need to see the application of this to our lives and to one another. And so if men are going to show their wives honor as the weaker vessel, this is seen in light of their physical strength and their role of leader as well. Right? And that's what we need to be able to be seen here. And so then how did that play out? And we, where we wrapped up our time last week. This played out in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Here's what it says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, they should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and it's a quotation from Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so you see structure, order, roles and responsibilities all being played out in this in order that the wife could be subject to her husband. She would submit to him in everything. But then also that the husband, as the leader, would be able to live with his wife in an understanding way. It's saying the same thing that First Peter is communicating in Ephesians 5. just gives us some more details. And so it tells the husband how he's to honor his wife. And here's where we wrapped up. And it's where we will uh, uh, quickly wrap this up and move to the new portion of Scripture. So... How does the husband then show why, show his wife honor? Well, the husband is going to show his wife honor as he gives her leadership. Right? That's what it means in verse 22 or verse 23 when it says, For the husband is the head of the wife. He's to provide leadership. That's what the head does. It provides leadership. Now, if you cut off the head, it doesn't have order. Now, I could take a moment. I, this past week, I was... My wife and I were, were working outside and uh, all day long. So finally, my wife's going to go out and going to water some plants right before we called it a night. And, and I was walking to move the plants to her to, be able to, to water them. And all of a sudden, as I was walking up behind her, between she and I was the serpent, right? The great snake. And I'm not being metaphorical. No, literal snake is between my wife and I. And so I begin to communicate to her. I go grab a hoe. And guess what I do? I cut the head off the snake. Now, here's the reality. Even in that, it's really gross my wife out, and I got videos if you want to see them later. But in cutting this off, I, I cut it a little too far. I didn't get it right behind the head. So there was a little bit of neck still left. And you know what still happened? And that snake could still move around. So the back half is doing its deal. The front half has been severed from the body's doing its deal. And so the reality is, is that there can still be some life for some length of time. But guess what? All the body did was spin around in a circle. You know why? Because it has no head to be able to tell it where it's going, to provide any leadership to it. 
And yet even the portion of the body that had the head still intact, even though it was being hindered that the body wasn't with it, still could move in directions that it wanted to go. My point is, you think, well, who I just talked about snakes that gross me out and the blood and it's just nasty. All right. The point is the husband's to provide direction to his household. He's the head. And that's why then the wife should then submit to her husband in everything, as the scripture would be able to communicate, because she, as Genesis 2 would say, is the helper. And so he should provide. How does he honor his wife? He provides her leadership. Number two, how does he honor the wife? He provides leadership. Number two, he provides initiative. So what's his leadership doing? What is he initiating in his leadership? That's what the passage says in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. The portion of the home should be that he would lead his wife to be holy, sanctifying her, having cleansed her by the washing of her a washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, we know God does this, not us. But here's what you got to understand. As the leader, as the head of the home, God is using you as a primary instrument in order to do that. Husband should not be taking credit for his wife being holy. That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's God himself should be taking responsibility for that. But, but men, let's not abdicate our responsibilities. That Ultimately, God will use us as a means to that end. And that's where our leadership comes in. So our leadership, and then from that leadership, we should be looking for a variety. We should be jealous. Listen to these words. You should be jealous to, be, to, to lead out in, in the right initiatives. Not waiting for her to be able to say, maybe we should read the Bible today, or maybe we should have uh, family devotions, or maybe we should pray together. But as, as the head who's providing direction in the home, here's the reality. You should, be, you should be jealous for taking the initiative within the home. Number three, it provides leadership, initiative, and protection. That's where verse 23 speaks. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and him, is himself its Savior. What does the Savior do? Protects, right? What is, what is Jesus protecting us from? He's protecting us by the, by the grace of God from the wrath of God. Right? When I stumbled upon that snake, the second one that we stumbled upon in our house, we were coming home off a of Wednesday night, and uh, there was a large copperhead in our garage, and, and it was out on the same side of the van when they pulled in that if Charity and, and Noah, which was on that side of the van, would have walked out, I'm confident, would have encountered that and potentially been bitten. Man, by God's grace, as a provider, as a protector, man, I was able to see it and in a much smaller way be the Savior to the family. In the same way, once again, we know Christ is the Savior. He's the one who died for sins. He's the only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But He's going to work in and through husbands to aid in that process to continue to point their wives and subsequent children to the Lord, to the genuine Savior. That's, that's no different than what I'm doing as a pastor. If I do that faithfully in my home... If I can manage my household well, then I'm qualified to be an elder. And if I'm qualified to be an elder, I'm leading other homes to do the same thing. Now, as a, as a shepherd, here's what I understand. I'm not the great shepherd. First Peter 5, we're going to talk about that. He's going to talk to pastors who are called shepherds to be able to say, listen, you're not it. You're not the main attraction. You're only pointing people to the Savior. And in the same way, like manner, the means by only means on which I'm qualified to be, you're a shepherd of our flock is that ultimately I'm a good shepherd in my home. And so men were called to protect our wives in the same manner that Christ protects us. And so the best way to do that is to point our wives to Christ. 
So we provide protection. And then lastly, husband honors his wife not only by showing leadership, initiative, protection, but also provision. There's more we could pull out of that text, but we're not preaching Ephesians 5, so I want to make sure I do stay to 1 Peter 3, but I want to be able to show you other passages that help us to see what it means to honor. And so it says in verse 29, For no, no man has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does to church, because we are members of his body. And so if our wife and children are members of our body, in a sense, and we are the head, then we should nourish and cherish our wives. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the direction that's given. Now, in that, that's not the only direction that's given. It was to honor our wives, and that's the primary. But then the question is, we honor them as a weaker vessel. And then in that direction, he grants us more information. Now, look at the information for husbands. Information for husbands. So honor them as the weaker vessels since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. So Peter wants to provide further information to husbands as it relates to the direction that he gave them to honor their wives as a weaker vessel, which is an aspect of the expectation they're to live with their wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge, right? So it's passes building upon itself. The information is to help them ensure that their wives are being honored according to, the, to knowledge. And that knowledge is not only that their wives are weaker vessels relating to physical strength, but they are also heirs with you of the grace of life. Some have said, the commentaries have said, one speaks of the natural or the physical, right? They're weaker vessels. And the other speaks of the spiritual, that they are now heirs with you of the grace of life. So then we've got to beg some questions. We need knowledge in order to do this. We need information in order to how to carry this out. What does it mean that they are heirs with you? What is it that she is an heir? Well, the, the phrase literally translates in the Greek, a fellow, a fellow heir, or sometimes translates a joint heir. So a fellow heir alongside of you. So you're an heir. So you get to thinking too highly of yourselves, too highly as you ought. You're an heir, but guess what? So is she. So despite the fact she's weaker as far as God's created order and design, doesn't mean that she should be cast aside without any thought. She is also equal with you in the way you're standing before God. And so in that she's a fellow heir. This means that wives will be receiving an inheritance alongside of their husbands uh, as children of God. For children are the only ones who are heirs, right? Somebody else outside of my family might receive some kind of inheritance potentially, but primarily it's it, it, the heir is the one who receives the inheritance. Not every child in this room, if I were to die, is going to be issued money that's to be left, to be left or set aside for an inheritance, right? And I mean, I love you just means that you're not my child. Same way it speaks to how I discipline my kids. There's some that I would love to discipline, but they're not mine, so I can't. And so as a result of this, I discipline those that are mine. And in the same way, this is what it says here. And so the question is, is they are heir with us, they receive an inheritance. Where do we see this in Scripture? And how does it help aid us and inform us about how we should show direction to our wives, this information that we would need? Well, we don't have to go very far, even in First Peter, to see it. First, we see in First Peter that we are becoming children of God through the work of God in regeneration, the new birth, being born again or born from above. This is seen in First Peter three or First Peter one, three and four. This is the very first weeks of our study of First Peter. We begin to dive into this. So, First Peter one, three and four says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There it is. Re, our new birth, born again, born from above, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. So 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 speaks of God as a father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're seeing the father-son language even there. And because of his mercy, he's caused us to be born again, right? So now we've been given new birth. And this spiritual new birth causes us to be children of God, as taught in 1 Peter 1, verse 14 and 17. 1 Peter 1, 14, as obedient children, it says. And then in verse 17 of 1 Peter 1, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's own deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. And so you're seeing us as referred to as children, and then now we're calling him as father. So as God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are now an heir with Christ when we were born again. And so as a result of that, he's called us to become children of God, to our heavenly father, and then we will inherit all that he has promised his children, as we saw in verse 4. So then what does it mean that heirs... We're supposed to be heirs with them of the grace of life. Here's what it is. They're born again. Spoke male, speaks both of male and female. They can now call on God as father as we call on God as father. They are receiving inheritance as we are receiving inheritance. It's all information. So then if that's the heir, they're going to receive an inheritance, as it spoke of in that passage that we just read. Then what does it mean that they are heir of the grace of life? And this grace is the current living hope that believers have of a future reality. They will be with Christ and like Christ like Christ meaning no sin, at his future revelation. That's what those passages were saying. So 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. So it's, we'll pick up where we left off there. We'll reread 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, God's, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have this living hope. We have this living hope of an inheritance that's going to be revealed to us in a salvation in the last times. So it doesn't mean it's all here now. A portion, portion of it's here, but not, it's not all here. And we're looking for this future hope, this future grace of life, even though we're living in grace in this particular time. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though, tested, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when? At, that's at the time it was revealed at the last time. It refers back to verse 5, but it says here, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him with it. Um, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this grace of life is this living hope that we've been born again and that ultimately we're going to be able to celebrate and be honored alongside of Christ, with Christ, as we honor and worship Christ in heaven one day. So if that's the case, then the reality from that is this grace of life, then it needs, we need to think through what that means. And if this grace of life, then... What is this grace? Well, 1 Peter 1.13 gives us some insight. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. Remember, we talked about this living hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there is a grace that we have now, but there's a grace that we're looking toward, right? That this grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then 1 Peter 4.13, we're not there yet, but we're, we're going to be there. But I think it helps us to understand what this is. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so there's a portion of what it's talking about here that we've seen again and again in both 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, 1 Peter 1, 13, 1 Peter 4, 13, that ultimately the grace of God is being related to the glory of God. Look at 1 Peter 4, 13 again. That you may re- also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But we've seen before that ultimately at his revelation in 1 Peter 1, 13, on the grace that you will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to understand. When his grace appears, his glory appears. And here's what the passage is communicating to us. That our wives share both in this grace and in the subsequent glory. And so at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will experience the ultimate expression of grace as we also experience the greatest revelation of his glory. Listen to that. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will experience the ultimate expression of grace apart from sin in its entirety. As we also experience the greatest revelation of his glory, we will see him and be like him. We will be blessed as the greatest expression of love, mercy, goodness, kindness, compassion, truth, holiness, as well as every other of the benevolent characteristics of God are on display for us to enjoy will be ours forever as we worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is this understanding is, is we see again and again and again. This is a promised reality that, that uh, we see in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and Romans, 6, Romans 2, 6 through 10. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the testedness of your faith, your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, here it is, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith that's been granted to us will be rewarded with honor and praise and glory at the revelation of Christ. That's what we need to be remembering, that our wives are... That's, that's, not, that's not a passive verse. Reader one, it's not speaking just to men. It's speaking to the body of Christ as a whole. And so male, male and female, men and women. That's why I said earlier, when it talked about wives being the weaker vessel, it does not speak into her dignity or worth or equality before God because her equality before God, her spirituality here is on the same playing field with men. That's why we want to be careful and live with them in an understanding way. This is what you see in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Speaking of God, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So we're patiently well-doing by seeking glory and honor and immortality. The Bible says he will grant us eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. The Bible's promising both male and female. Glory and honor and peace. Glory and honor and immortality in eternal life. This is what will be revealed to us in the last time. And so the greatest revelation of God's glory grants us the greatest expression of his grace. And this is what our wives are joint heirs in, fellow heirs with us. And so husbands are encouraged to honor their wives as fellow heirs of the grace and glory that will be theirs at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a helpful reminder that balances the exhortation to honor their wife who is weaker physically, but equal spiritually. Tracking. And so they've been asked to a subservient role 
within our marriage. Once again, doesn't speak to anything as far as worth, dignity, any of those things, but a subservient role, a, a role of subjection. And just because that's the case, and, and even in God's design, it's the weaker vessel. Physically, they are not weaker, but they're absolutely equal spiritually. And this is important. It balances it out. Helps us not to be too harsh with the wives as we realize that uh, they're weaker, right? not emotionally, not intellectually, but just physically. We shouldn't be demanding things of them that they can't do. But at the same time, we need to be encouraged that that can lead to abuse and the servant leadership that is no leadership, all serving and no leading. And so there are some ways that we need to be granting instructions, um, leading, uh, uh, providing leadership with initiative that ultimately there could be sanctification in the home, clearly demanding what the Bible commands, right? So that would be a good place to start. And But in that, we won't be too harsh the other way. And all of a sudden, it's like, only minister to me and, and only think of me and you're not living them in an understanding way and not encouraging them knowing that what they're a, they're a daughter of the king. Because I'm a son of the king. They're a daughter of the king. And so just because their role is to serve you as they serve God, you need to be mindful of the fact that she's equal with you in the eyes of God. And so it's a proper balance that Peter places. And before people would begin to say, and I would be with Charles Haddon Spurgeon, some would say, maybe even after some of my sermons to go, Man, hope you're proud of yourself. You've set us back to the colonial days, some, you know, 300, 400 years ago. And I would say with Charles Hedden Spurgeon, when he was brought that up, a person came up to him. I think it was a female came to him after one of his sermons and said, Wow, you set us back 200 years with that sermon. And Charles Hedden Spurgeon looked right in the eyes and said, I, I am very, very sorry. I meant to set us back 2,000 years, right, when the Bible was written. And so our instructions here is that many may not buy into this, but here's the reality. This isn't, this is an old antiquated passage, sure. It's over 2,000 years old. But here's what you need to be able to understand with this, right? This, the reality that's being taught here is how we are called to live. And just because culture wants to throw this off doesn't mean that what is being taught here is, is paganistic or somehow intolerant or is holding people down. This actually that was written at this particular time in the culture that was written was radical because women didn't have rights. Women were seen as property, very similar to the slaves were seen. And if you go to in our in our culture, it seems foreign to us, but you go outside of our culture, even many, many Middle Eastern countries, you will see this as a reality. Paul Lindsay has seen this in India with me. It's time that we I've been there. They've been there. This is a normative culture in other locations to an abuse. They need to be reminded. They have no problem with the wife being sub- subject. They need to be reminded, though, that she's an heir with you of the grace of life. And so there's a balance for us. And I think us, we are, no one's really in our culture thinking about the grace of life in the spiritual sense. But, man, we want complete equality in every sense as far as no la- or a complete lack of subjection. And so both cultures need work to not do what, Eve did and go, did God really say? And then she got it right, right? So when a certain serpent came to her, corrupted society, listen, no, she got it right. But then she was a confused saint and didn't get it right. And so our corrupt society is trying to tell the Indian culture one thing, the American culture something else. And what we've got to say is, hey, did God really say? Yo, no, he did. Okay, but did he really mean it? Is that really what it means? And we have to say, we can't be corrupted and we can't be confused. We have to say what God says. And that leads us to our last 
point. The caution to husbands. The caution to husbands. The caution is so that, why are we to live this way? So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? That your prayers may not be hindered. First thing it communicates to us is that we should be praying. Many of the problems that I think are taking place in the home is there's a lack of humility in the life of the husband, lack of authority on the lack of the husband, uh, husband lack of initiative on, the, last of a hus- lack on the, uh, the side of the husband, a lack of leadership on the side of husbands. So just a question with husbands. When's the last time you prayed with your wife? Showed humility, they'd be able to go, I don't have this figured out. I don't know the answers. Like King Jehoshaphat of Second Chronicles 20. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are going to be on Christ. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Are we praying with our wives? Are we praying for our wives and children? So the final word in regards to subjection to this human institution is a word of caution. Peter gives a caution as to the purpose of submission in light of his institution of marriage. All submission is for the Lord's sake, according to 1 Peter 2, 13. So Christian obedience is always for the Lord's sake. However, it is always for our long-term good that we should obey God. So he's calling us to submit. He's calling us to yield. And in that, that's, that's for, should be for the Lord's sake. So I'm, I'm going to do this for God. I'm just going to muster up enough strength. But you've got to remember, God's commands are good. He's a good, kind, benevolent God. And so as a result of that, all of his commands, and we were just to respond for his sake, are always for our long-term good if we will obey him. It is always for our detriment if we disobey him. And with no difference, the institution of marriage is, is, is not at all different. God will not bless disobedience in how husbands treat their wives. And so our obedience has a purpose, and our disobedience has a consequence. So Peter exhorts and cautions men that they should live with their wives in an understanding way or according to, uh, according to knowledge so that their prayers may not be hindered. So if we obey God and, and live with our wives in a manner that God has told us to, he will hear our prayers, and if we don't, our prayers will be hindered. Now, what could those prayers mean? What could those prayers be for? Well, there's a myriad of things that you could be praying for. It could be like the, the wife who's trying to win her husband without the word. She needs to obey and yield to those, those commands. Because why? Her prayers won't be hind- will be hindered then. How do you say you want your husband to come to faith in Christ and you live in rebellion and rejection to God? He's not going to even get a model of what that looks like if you don't do it properly. And so God will never honor our disobedience. Now, this is not new to the Bible, and this isn't new to 1 Peter. Listen to what some of the 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 4, 7. We'll be getting there in a few weeks. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Live in this manner. Live in a manner that's God-ordained. Live in this manner that's spirit-filled. Live in a manner that's, that's you're guarding your heart and you're guarding your mind. You're living in self-control. Why? For the sake of your prayers. And so what does that mean? Prayers can be jeopardized by a lack of self-control and sober-mindedness as it relates to holiness. Your prayers can be jeopardized when we don't live in the manner that God's called us to. We don't live in holiness or in a, in a state of self-control or sober-mindedness. This is expressed generally to all believers in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, and applied particularly to men in this passage. So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's a command. 
And if we tie that with 1 Peter 4, 7, and the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We're knowing that those things are tied together. We don't live as holy as God has called us to be holy. We're disobeying him. And if we're disobeying him, God will not hear our prayers. The same thing you see in 1 Peter 3, 7 about the husbands. It's just being applied to the husbands particularly. You don't live in a manner that God's called you to live with your wife in a, a way that would guard her and protect her and provide for her as Christ did for us. Then guess what's going to happen? God's not going to hear your prayers. Your prayers are going to be hindered. They will not, they will not be effective. This is also seen in 1 Peter 3, 12. Okay, 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to how the Bible personifies God in this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are attentive. They're open to the prayer of the righteous. But his face... It's going to be against those who do evil. And in Psalm 66, 18, we could go a lot of other locations as well. But let me just last verse we'll, we'll read for this morning as it relates to our prayers to caution here. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Old Testament, New Testament line communicates this. We don't live however we want to. And expect the blessings of God. We don't live how we want to. And so men. There's a great caution to you. To think you can live with your wife. In a, in a way that's just completely self-centered. Self-absorbed. Self-focused. You got your deal. She's got her deal. Without providing any leadership. No initiative. No protection. No provision. And think God's going to be. He's going to be pleased with your leadership in your home. He's going to pour out his blessings upon you. And so there's a great caution. And so the conclusion for us. God desires that husbands live according to his plan and his purposes for marriage. That's what the scriptures are teaching. He expects for them to live according to his knowledge. According to that knowledge would be his order and his design for marriage. He calls for men to show honor to their wives by acknowledging their weakness. To serve them and by acknowledging their greatness by reigning alongside of them. Listen to that. He calls for men to show honor to their wives by acknowledging their weakness to serve them, but also by acknowledging their greatness by reigning alongside of them. Most of the time we're going to land on one of those ditches. Our wives will not just reign alongside of us. She will reign over us, as the caution is in Genesis chapter 3. Or we don't serve them and, and, and minister them knowing that they're a weaker vessel, and so we want to reign over them and be unduly harsh or unkind to them. And this is the this is the... The two ditches that Peter is encouraging them to stay out of. And that's how the passage is written, which is so helpful. So this type of honor he will bless by aiding their prayers to fulfill his purposes for them in marriage for his glory and their good. That's the design for men in their homes. And I know this week for me, it's been a week after preaching, a week that could be tested, right? And not only just in actions, but attitudes, Especially when you get tired. And so as a result of this, man, it's been a, a week for me to take assessment, self-examination. And I would encourage all men in here to do so. And if you're an individual thinking, well, I'm not a husband yet. Prepare yourself to be that husband. Begin to live in holiness. Get your conduct in order. 
Seek counsel from men who are married that you could begin to aid in that. If you're a husband, I encourage you to have accountability and courage, and I'm not even just accountability outside of, of your marriage. Begin to talk to your wife and communicate that men, based on what is there, free reign, speak into my life. And then everything that I would say, they would say, you need to put it up and against Scripture to let Scripture inform you of how you're supposed to live. That we would live, the husbands would honor their wives. And in that, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses. You begin to command what the Bible commands, right? You might have difficulty in your home. and be frustrating in your home. Just remember Moses, when he began leading, right? He wasn't a leader. He wasn't leading. And he shows it because God told him to. He tells it to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh didn't take it well. So then Pharaoh made it more difficult. And as a result of that, everyone hated, I'll say everyone, but the majority hated Moses because their jobs had gotten more difficult. If you've not been leading your home well and you begin to lead, let me just tell you, there will be resistance probably from your wife in ways, and there will probably be resistance from your children in ways. And with that, I would do what Moses did, even a lot of Pharaoh, right? Keep going before the Lord. Keep getting instruction and keep obeying what God tells you to do. Let's pray together. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.